0: I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hello. Oh my God. I cannot believe we're here. Welcome to RIP Diets, episode one. Some of you may listen to my other podcast, but for those of you who are brand new and somehow found this podcast and thought this might be something I'm interested in, welcome. I have a very complicated relationship with my body. I'll get into it in a little bit, but first I want to tell you a little bit more about what we're going to talk about here. We're going to talk about how to bury diet culture six feet deep in the ground And become an intuitive eater. Now, what does that mean? What I will say is I'm not an expert. I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist. This is all my opinion and it's all my personal experience. I've noticed in quarantine, and by the way, I hope you all are staying safe and sound in quarantine. But I I noticed very early on a lot of us are worried about weight gain. Um, And it seems to be a very hot topic. There's uh, quarantine 15, which is a term that I've heard, you know, I'm going to gain the quarantine 15. Now she's finding it harder to stave off the quarantine 15. And it makes me really upset. Not just that people are making these jokes, but when people are thrown out of their routines and confused and stir crazy, it seems that one of the first things we go to for control is controlling our bodies. And it's as if your body is something that even needs to be kept under control. And I don't believe it does. I think your body does a lot for you. I think you should respect your body and let it be the way that it is naturally and treat it well. But... I used to live at war with my body, and I know that that is a reality for a lot of people, and it's not your fault. So I wanted to share with you my experience and offer an alternative way to live your life that I think is a way more rewarding way to live your life, and that is intuitive eating. Once again, if you've listened to my other podcast, I've been doing it for five years with another comedian, Andrea Allen. Um, it's called Hot Mess Comedy Hour. Subscribe if you like this podcast. I'm sure you will love that one. I have discussed struggling with an eating disorder. And I did go to therapy for it. And that's where I was introduced to intuitive eating. And I didn't want to fuck this up. So I went to the org website. And I'm going to read what they wrote about intuitive eating just to be crystal clear, and to make sure that I don't fuck it up on the first episode. And they say, Intuitive eating is about trusting your inner body wisdom to make choices around food that feel good in your body, without judgment and without influence from diet culture. We're all born with the skill to eat, to stop when we're full, to eat when we're hungry, and to eat satisfying foods. As we grow up, that can change for a variety of reasons – Many of us lose that freedom and intuitive eating is learning to reclaim it. When we filter out the noise and influence that diet culture presents to us as false truths, we can then truly listen to what our body wants and needs from food. Let me break that down for you people. We are born intuitive eaters. You feed a baby, the baby physically cannot eat more than the baby needs. So we're all born intuitive eaters, and then we lose that over time, and the reason why we lose it over time is because of diet culture. Diet culture is the water that we're swimming in, people, and we don't even realize how deep it goes. I was watching TV the other day. I've been watching a lot of TV in the queue, and one show that I've been getting into is 90 Day Fiance, and unfortunately... Only some seasons are available on Hulu and you have to watch the rest of the seasons on the TLC app, which I'm going to drag the TLC app. It's the worst app, but the number one thing that I cannot stand about the TLC app is the amount of ads and the fact that they show the same ads over and over and over. One of them that they've been showing is a Weight Watchers commercial Another one that they've been showing is a Cheerios commercial. Uh, I'm going to circle back around to that. And they've also been showing a Thrive Market commercial, all three of which are perfect examples of diet culture and how diet culture is all around us and we don't even know. It's in the language that is told to us. It's in the products that are sold to us. So let me talk about these commercials. The Weight Watchers commercial is the one that drives me up the fucking wall because and I have tried Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers is a system for those of you who don't know it's a it's a diet. They have no longer marketed themselves as a diet they used to, but they don't anymore because the word diet is very um gauche. It's not trendy anymore. What you hear more now is the term wellness or clean eating. That's another one that I fucking hate. And these are all euphemisms for dieting. So Weight Watchers used to be a diet. Now it's a lifestyle change or whatever the fuck it calls itself. They changed their name to WW instead of Weight Watchers, which I assume is because the term Weight Watchers sounds like a diet. And they don't want you to think it's a diet. But what is the definition of dieting? And this is an official definition that I found on the web. Dieting is the practice of eating food in a regulated and supervised fashion to decrease, maintain, or increase body weight. Or to prevent and treat diseases such as diabetes and obesity. A restricted diet is more often pursued by those wanting to lose weight. So All of these uh, wellness companies and companies that market to uh, you different lifestyle changes or methods of eating in order to increase your health, but especially ones that also promise the possibility of weight loss or the probability of weight loss, these are all diets. No matter how they market themselves to you, they are diets. If you are restricting what you eat in any way or tracking what you eat or controlling it, that is a diet. So I think it's safe to say that many, many, many of us have dieted at one point or another in our lives. It's kind of the norm, right? I mean, I more often encounter people who watch what they eat, quote unquote, than don't watch what they eat. And that's another term that I Cannot stand. Watch what you eat. So I find myself having this conversation with people a lot because the second you bring up that you're against dieting, people usually seem to be interested in it. It's something that most people, like I said, have had experience with. So I end up having a lot of conversations with people and, um, and sometimes i end up arguing with people over whether intuitive eating is really the right way to go about eating um whether it's for everybody and you know do do i in theory think intuitive eating is for everybody yeah because as we said before we're all born intuitive eaters it's something that we unlearn over time that i think can be really damaging but am i going to tell an 80-year-old man who has diabetes and is on dialysis in a hospital bed that the key to getting in touch with his body is to be an intuitive eater? No, it, it probably wouldn't work for that person. But if you yourself are a chronic dieter and you find yourself really unhappy with your body and you can't seem to find a diet that you can stick to and you, you, no matter what you do, maybe you lose some weight here, you gain it back here. No matter what you do, it always seems to be a struggle. I think intuitive eating is the best way to heal your relationship with food and to get back in touch with your body and feel able to live your life. I think we're sold this myth that, weight loss is the key to happiness. And you see it in these commercials. You see, uh, you know, the before picture and the after picture. And in the before picture, people look so fucking depressed. And then in the after picture, they look thrilled and happy and like they're living their best life. All of these things... Can brainwash you into thinking that that is the only way to be happy. And I'm here to tell you, um, as somebody who has dieted a lot, as somebody who had disordered eating that then crossed over into an eating disorder, having a fucked up relationship with food can carry over into many aspects of your life. It can make you a dishonest person. It made me a dishonest person. It can make you an anxious person. It can make you depressed. And on a micro level, even if you're not someone with an eating disorder, but you think that you always need to be on a diet, it can definitely make you miss out on things in your life that you think you'll be able to do when you're magically thin, but you can do them now. One example that I've been thinking a lot about is the notion of a beach body. And this is a dieting term that has become very common beach body on demand where you can just click stream and sweat the bikini body 28 day healthy eating and lifestyle guide have your arms ready for bikini season and summer start your journey now to get your beach body or your summer body your bikini body and i was thinking about how many times a year Do I actually go to the beach and wear a bathing suit? For some people, like you might be listening to this podcast and say like, Emily, I live in Sydney, Australia, and I'm a surfer, so I I wear a bathing suit every day. Okay, true. But just go with me here because I think the vast majority of people are probably like me. And for me, I love going to the beach. I'm a mermaid. I am a fucking mermaid. What would I give? I love swimming in the ocean. I love going to the beach. Summertime is just the peak of happiness for me. And that's, it's super basic, but that's just who I am. Still, I'm pretty sure I only go to the beach and wear a bathing suit to the beach five to 10 times a year. So five to 10 times out of 365. Let's do some quick calculations on that. I'm just gonna take out my calculator and see... What percentage of time that actually is? Okay, 10, let's call it 10 divided by 365. 2%. So 2% of your time is actually spent on the beach wearing a bathing suit. And yet the other 98% of the time we're going to be focusing on achieving this perfect body to look quote perfect on the beach. That is a huge investment of time for a very small amount of time that honestly is not going to be made infinitesimally better by having a certain body over another body and that's my personal opinion on that you know there's many ways that we try to achieve that the the quote perfect body and that might mean something different for everybody one way is dieting another way is exercise and exercise actually is one of the principles of intuitive eating. There are 10 principles and they go in order. You're not really supposed to address the later principles until you first tackle the earlier principles. And exercise is further down on the list for a reason. And it's because it's very difficult for people to separate exercise from food because we've linked the two Together, as two things that you need to do in order to achieve your goals. And really, they're very two separate things and they accomplish two very different things. So I'm not going to talk about any of that right now. I will talk about it on a later episode, so stay tuned. But today, I am talking about the first principle of intuitive eating, which I would say is the most important and also is the most difficult, I think, to achieve, and that is reject the diet mentality, Reject it. Reject it. Okay, what is the diet mentality? Let's talk about it. Again, I'm going to talk about my personal experience. I fucking love ice cream. I love the experience of scanning the freezer aisle and choosing who my next victim will be. I fucking love it. I was at Trader Joe's the other day in the freezer aisle, checking out all the ice creams. I ended up getting mint chocolate chip because the Trader Joe's mint chocolate chip is phenomenal. If you're a mint chocolate chip fan, I highly recommend it. But when I used to walk down the freezer aisle, I would avoid even looking at the ice cream. And I would tell myself, nope, you don't need it. Go get some fruit instead. That'll satisfy your sweet tooth. You don't need the ice cream That's the diet mentality. That is exactly what we are looking to reject. The diet mentality is, you know, that little voice that's telling you to choose the lower calorie option, the, quote, healthier option. Let's say what you were really craving was ice cream. Let's use that example. But, you know, you're telling yourself, oh, you know, I I don't really, I ate a lot today. I don't need the ice cream. I'm going to go for grapes instead. Whatever you perceive as healthier than the ice cream. That's the diet mentality because you are purposely not eating what you're really craving because you think it's going to do some kind of harm to you. This was the hardest thing to learn to reject for me because the diet mentality was my entire mentality. It was how I lived my life. It was how I sought control and how I was taught to eat I got a lot of mixed messages and on the one hand it's okay to be skinny and it's okay to be fat if that's what you want to be whatever you want it's okay and then on the other hand okay but Olive let me ask you this those women in Miss America are they skinny or are they fat? they're skinny I guess yeah I guess they don't eat a lot of ice cream I felt that people were judging me. I felt that my family, certain family members did not approve of my weight. It was uh, the elephant in the room, so to speak. Um, I was very, very sensitive about it. I was very ashamed about it. My mom took me to a nutritionist. She told me to eat a certain way. So I, when I think about it, I was probably put on my first diet around age eight or nine when we went to that nutritionist. So already I was becoming so out of touch with what I really needed because I was told that I should be having three meals and two snacks a day. And I had to stick to it no matter what. This is the diet mentality. Rejecting the diet mentality is giving yourself what you want and what's going to satisfy you and not labeling certain foods as good and certain foods as bad. So that's my interpretation of it. I'm also going to read the definition from intuitiveeating.org where they list out all 10 principles. So reject the diet mentality. Throw out the diet books and magazine articles that offer you the false hope of losing weight quickly, easily, and permanently. Get angry at diet culture that promotes weight loss and the lies That have led you to feel as if you were a failure every time a new diet stopped working and you gained back all the weight. If you allow even one small hope to linger that a new and better diet or food plan might be lurking around the corner, it will prevent you from being free to rediscover intuitive eating. This is why I'm saying this is probably the most difficult principle of all because... When something is so ingrained in you the way that it was ingrained in me to choose, quote, healthier foods over unhealthy foods, to choose lower calorie options, to choose things that you know you can burn off, everything of that nature is categorized under the diet mentality. What you want to do instead is think about what am i really craving what would satisfy me what do i truly want to eat and how much of it and you get to decide for yourself what that is and how much of it you know we're taught from such an early age that it matters what we look like and it and certain things you do will impact the way that you look and the way that you'll be perceived and of course, some people don't experience this as much as other people. I think kids who grew up like me, who may have been considered overweight or chubby, probably get introduced to this earlier than other kids. But from talking to a lot of women so many women have the same experience that I have, that they were very conscious of their bodies and that it mattered how they appeared from a very early age. Like I said, I was aware of it from age eight, honestly, probably more like from age five. I just didn't didn't feel like my body was an acceptable thing about me. I was definitely always praised by my parents, they always would say I'm, I'm so creative and I'm so smart, but I definitely was aware of my body and ashamed of my body from a very early age. And one of the reasons for that was because I had an older sister who I perceived as being treated differently and having different opportunities than I did because she had a different body type. My sister was always, like, adorable. She was always, she's 5'1". She's so short. She has tiny little limbs and tiny little feet and tiny little hands. And everybody would just constantly talk about how cute she was and how small. Oh, my God. It used to drive me crazy. People would just praise her constantly for being small and cute. And I was never like that. I'm tall. I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm five foot eight, but sometimes people even think I'm taller, probably cause I wear, uh, sneakers like dino stompers with, um, like a two inches on the bottom. So they probably think I'm like closer to five ten. but I've always been on the taller side. When I was in elementary school, I was taller than the boys and I had some weight on me. I was a chubbier kid and some people are chubbier kids, but my sister was always very lithe and, and small. It just always... Felt to me like she was encouraged to do certain things, but they were not for me. And it made me really ashamed. It made me not want to have pictures taken of myself. I remember when we were younger and we had to take family pictures, I hated being in pictures. And my mom would put me in the front. And I would make this scowl. I would like stick out my bottom lip so far and just make like a really like scrunchy, ugly face. And when I look back at that, I'm, I'm kind of upset that I did that. But I'm also, I, I recognize that that girl was in a lot of pain and really didn't feel good about herself and really didn't feel accepted from a really young age, so I, I, you know, I didn't want to show my face. I didn't want to be in a picture with all these people that I saw as so different from me. I remember when I was younger, I loved. Oh, and I, I still love Britney Spears. Britney Spears is an absolute icon. Back in the early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands, she was absolutely the beauty standard for me. She was my favorite. God, I just remember her in the Oops, I Did It Again video in the red cat suit with the long hair and the chunky dance shoes. <laughs> God, she was everything. But then a few years later, she had a decline. And that was a little bit before the Blackout album came out. She had two babies with K-Fed. And then she had a divorce shortly after and a mental breakdown. She shaves her head. We all know how that story goes, I hope. But then Blackout came out, her album Blackout. Uh, you might know. Give me, give me more. Give me more. Give me, give me more. Uh, uh, among others. It's, it's. I mean, I think it's the best pop album of all time. Um, and it's an incredible dance album. Songs off that album are still being blasted in gay bars to this day. Well, not to this day because we're in quarantine, but you know what I mean. But anyway, uh, when that album came out, she was booked to perform Gimme More uh, live at the VMAs. And while admittedly it was not her most stunning performance um, because she was going through a lot. My girl was fucked up. The mishap, so to speak, that I remember people focusing on the most was the fact that she was larger bodied than she used to be. She had appeared to gain weight Um, because she had two kids in two years and had a divorce. God, people are exhausting. Anyway, that that was really profoundly impactful for me to see because it really hammered home the message that it's definitely not sexy to be fat. That that's how I interpreted that. But then again, Britney in her prime was impossibly thin and physically fit. You know, she was a trained dancer. She would be in dance rehearsal for several hours of the day while on tour. So Britney's natural state of being changed from one year to the next after having two kids and having put herself through a fame cycle of hell. Then we see the people who had praised Britney for her conventionally bangable body were the same people shaming Britney for having put on a few pounds. But the question is, why were we talking about her weight at all? Why is it that we are so hyper-focused on others' bodies that it would change how we treat them as a person or how we think of them as a pop star. Oh, she's going downhill. Oh, she really let herself go. I mean, first of all, I mean, for years, that performance of Give Me More, that was my goal body. She still looked incredible. But you know what I'm trying to say. She didn't look like who she used to uh, when she was a teen pop star and had not had any babies yet and was dancing for 10 hours a day and – was uh probably dieting. I mean, I don't actually know. I remember um I read this J14 style like Tiger Beat knockoff magazine when I was little and it said Britney Spears's beauty secrets. And underneath it said that Britney Spears stayed beautiful by drinking lots of water and getting lots of sleep. So then I was like, oh, okay. I'm going to drink a lot of water and get a lot of sleep. And then maybe I'll be as as beautiful as Britney Spears. And I mentioned it to a friend. I don't know why. Maybe we were talking about beauty or makeup or something. And I said, oh, well, you know, Britney Spears says her beauty secrets are that she drinks a lot of water and gets a lot of sleep. And I remember my friend was like, that's ridiculous. Britney Spears probably does 100 sit-ups a day. And I, I just remember that so clearly because I thought, oh, yeah, well, maybe I should do 100 sit-ups a day. And then pro- after 10 sit-ups, I was like, nah, it's okay, I'm good. But I remember thinking that, like, I, oh, wow, yeah, she's right. Like, if Britney Spears does that, and I I love the way Britney Spears looks, I think she's gorgeous. I I should do exactly what she does. And it's, it's interesting because we don't know what anybody actually does to maintain their body. There are plenty of people who have certain body types and we might look at their body and say, oh, I love their body. They have a great body. They might naturally have that body. We don't really know what anybody really does. And I, um, Britney Spears, I will get off the topic of Britney Spears For you guys, okay, I won't – Britney Spears is going to come up in this podcast. She just is because she's an icon, and I just – I relate to the world around me and specifically our perceptions of people in the media. I I just – I draw a lot of comparisons to Britney Spears. I think she's the ultimate boom-bust example of how the media – can lift you up and make you so untouchable and then can bring you down and become a vehicle for people to relish in your failure. And I think Britney is such a perfect example of that. But my last point for today is um, Britney Spears did a documentary several years ago called For the Record, and this was post-mental breakdown, post-blackout. She kind of did this documentary as a, you know, Letting people in on her side of the story, you know, people want to know what really happened with K Fed and all that shit. Uh, so she does for the record, which is I think it was an MTV documentary. And in the documentary, she's getting her hair and makeup done, and uh, she was living in her childhood home. In Kentwood, Louisiana, she had moved back in with her family because you know she she was going through a rough spot, and they were there for her and had her move back in and were taking care of her. So she's in the chair, she's getting her hair and makeup done, and her dad is in the kitchen cooking her cheese grits. And, you know, Brittany's from the South, so she was probably raised on, or she was raised. He said it in the documentary. She was raised on Southern food, and every good Southern girl eats cheese grits for breakfast, he says. You know, other people might eat mini wheats or, you know, their Wheaties or toast and eggs or whatever, and Brittany's a Southern girl, so she eats cheese grits. He's He peels up the those craft singles american cheese into little pieces and just drops them in the cheese grits and mixes them around and she said he says this is just how my girl likes it it's the cutest thing ever i think it's so cute and then she he brings it to her in a little cereal bowl and she she's like oh thanks daddy and then she- uh and then the hair and makeup people just keep doing their thing and she just is sitting there eating her cheesy grits and this is such a cute moment Because it's it's like Yeah She's a southern girl This is what she likes To eat for breakfast Anyway I'm going to go back To the question Why are we so Hyper focused On others bodies Especially Celebrities Which Celebrities are Influential people They just are Because we see a lot of them And We idolize them To a certain extent This is probably old news But I also wanted to talk about A few weeks ago On Instagram Adele Hello It's me. Posted a picture on her 30th birthday. And in the picture, first of all, the caption was just like wishing everybody well. And, you know, it's my 30th birthday. I'm summarizing. But the caption was not at all about her body or about her weight, mental state, none of that. And then almost immediately after she posts this picture, I see it reposted by several news outlets. And... The captions are some variation of Adele shows off major weight loss, Adele shows off beautiful new body, you know, what, whatever it would be, they were all about her body. And she attracted a lot of attention on Instagram for her weight loss, never having made a comment about her weight loss in the first place. The diva has dropped about 100 pounds, according to People Magazine. However, Adele has yet to publicly comment as of early May 2020. And I saw some comments. I know that E! News posted it. And I saw some comments under that. Why are we praising her for her weight loss? Why do we need to draw attention in this way? And then people were fighting back. People were challenging that and saying, people are just happy when she's happy and it seems seems like she's happy. So, or it seems like she's healthy or it seems like she's had a journey and we should be praising her for that. Clearly she worked hard to lose that weight. So we should be praising her. And to that, I would just challenge those people to ask themselves, would they be saying the same thing if she had actually gained weight rather than lost weight? If Adele had put on... 10 20 30 pounds and posted a picture and somebody reposted it saying oh Adele has gained weight in quarantine some trashy news outlet had posted that and then if somebody had posted under it this is not healthy why are we praising Adele for for weight gain would you go out of your way to point out that she looks happy and she looks healthy and she seems fine and she's had a journey because I think a lot of people just associate thinness and weight loss with happiness. They just assume that somebody is happier because they lost weight. They think that, you know, once they achieve one, they achieve the other. And that is simply not true. Being thin does not improve your self esteem, does not make you feel like a new person, none of that crapola that diet culture worshipers would have you believe. Adele having lost weight doesn't automatically mean she's in great shape or she's in great spirits. The truth is we really don't know. We know next to nothing about her life, first of all. She's a very private person as far as celebrities go, but any any other celebrity, we really we have a very limited window into their lives. So, her weight loss could have been intentional or not or due to working out only, or dieting also, or neither could have been from either. Maybe she lost weight from stress, or maybe she got sick. The point is, why are we commenting on something we know nothing about and passing judgment like we're the fucking grand jury? We talk about celebrities like we're judging a livestock competition at the county fair, and they're the prize pig. Do you know how losery that is that we do that? Like, I just, whenever I see that, I'm just like, God, we are such losers. Why do we put these people up on pedestals and comment on their every fluctuation as if it matters? As far as I'm concerned, if you're a news outlet and you're posting about celebrity weight loss on your website, you look like a total loser. I think that, you know, some people comment on other people's weight and they don't necessarily realize why it's harmful. And they think, you know, me commenting on someone's weight loss is just a compliment and nothing more. And it's to be taken as a compliment. And I do understand. I'm not calling people evil who are not evil. I'm not saying that people comment on other people's weight to make them feel bad. But I do want to challenge you to think about what you are saying when you're complimenting someone on weight loss, okay? Because when you comment on someone's weight loss, you could be pointing out the fact that they've set a goal and reached it, which can be very rewarding. I will admit that can be a rewarding feeling to set a goal and reach it. So that's, I know that's what the intention is, but you could also be pointing out their sadness. You could also be encouraging disordered behavior without knowing it. You could be communicating, oh, wow, you look great, but, and, but you looked disgusting before. So never go back to being like that. You could be communicating that and not even know. So that's why it's better to not comment on anyone's weight. Which brings me back to rejecting the diet mentality. We want to challenge. We, d- we don't want to just try to erase it because that's impossible. We want to challenge the way we think about weight loss. We want to challenge why we think that weight loss is good and weight gain is bad. Why do we think that certain foods are good and certain foods are bad? So in the beginning of this I was talking about some of the commercials that I've been seeing on the TLC app. Blah, I hate you TLC app. Anybody who's listening to this who works for TLC just help me contact the person who designed the app and just request a few changes cuz I have a list. But so another commercial that they've been showing is for Thrive Market, I hope that I never have the opportunity to be sponsored by Thrive Market. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm not going to be sponsored by any diet companies or uh, clean eating adjacent companies. But Thrive Market has put out this commercial in which they say, you know, we care about your health. And and also I love the modifications that these companies are making because of COVID-19, I like that they're making it seem like they're extra concerned about our health. Oh, we're going to fight away the virus by eating organic barley or whatever the fuck. It's so ridiculous. It's utterly absurd. But um you got to think about where these messages are coming from. The company that is telling you they care so much about your health and they want you to um, eat clean so that your body will be in the optimum state to fight off the virus or to to prevent heart disease or whatever it might be. They are selling you a product. At the end of the day, they don't really care about your health and well-being at all. They care about you buying their product period. And this is why all these diet companies like Weight Watchers are changing their branding. They're changing the way that they market themselves to people. They're not calling themselves diets. They're calling themselves lifestyle changes. They're not using the word weight loss or diet in these commercials. They focus on health. They focus on eating clean, treating your body well. These are buzzwords because Wellness culture is the more prevalent form of diet culture right now. So every time you see an Instagram post that's, you know, drink kombucha instead of soda because kombucha has live cultures in it and it helps your gut and it helps you maintain optimal gut health, whatever it is, that's the diet mentality. That's diet culture and it's disguised as wellness um, and that's also referred to as the wellness diet because it is a diet. The final commercial that's bugged me that has been on TV since I was a small child is the Cheerios commercial. The Cheerios commercial is such a classic one. It's got the bumblebee. He's flying around. It's got a dude in a robe with a bowl of cereal enjoying the morning, just enjoying his delicious breakfast. I fucking love Honey Nut Cheerios. I love cereal. But I don't like this commercial because their claim has always been that Cheerios lowers cholesterol. That's their big selling point. It lowers cholesterol. Let's think critically about this for a second. How does eating Cheerios lower your cholesterol? It only would lower your cholesterol potentially Potentially, because for breakfast, if you eat Cheerios, you're not eating bacon and eggs. You're not eating other foods that have been associated with higher cholesterol. Whether or not that is true, whether or not eating those foods automatically affects your cholesterol, I can't speak on that. I'm not an expert. But I can speak on the idea that if you say something lowers cholesterol, people are more likely to buy it because they associate your product with improving their health. And that claim is not backed by science and is purely just a a way to get you to buy it. So today's assignment, today's challenge is to reject the diet mentality, and to challenge the way that diets and diet foods are being marketed towards you. When you see these ads, pay attention to them and try to pick out what mechanisms are they using to make me think that I need this, to make me think that using this product, trying this diet, trying this, quote, lifestyle, is imperative to my health. And that's today's assignment. Reject the diet mentality. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to episode one. There's so much that I want to talk about in this podcast. Each episode from now on is going to be a different principle of intuitive eating. So today's was reject the diet mentality. And next week I'm going to move on to another principle and give my thoughts on it. They won't all be as militant and uh, preachy as this one. But I wanted the first one to really hammer home the idea, you do not need to diet. We have been sold this idea that dieting is the secret to weight loss, is the secret to happiness. One to one to one. And it's not true. I'm here to tell you it's not true. I'm also really wanting to communicate that if you look at statistics, dieting actually does not help you lose weight. It will help you lose weight in the short term potentially. But 97% of people who have lost a significant amount of weight from diets end up gaining it back within five years. So if we're looking at the hard facts, if we're looking at the hard evidence, they do not work. Now, the problem with this is that the other 3% of people who do keep it off are often the people in these diet commercials. They make you think that you can be like them. But the fact is, we do not know anyone's life. We don't know what people need to resort to to keep weight off. We don't know their mental state. Oftentimes, in order to keep weight off, a significant amount of weight off long term, people do feel the need to resort to disordered eating. What I would call disordered eating and restrict their food a lot. They might, you know, pass this off as, oh, this is just what I need to do to control my weight. This is, I've just learned a healthier way of eating. But in my opinion, it's often disordered and we don't realize it or we just are so desensitized to diet culture that we think it's normal. And it's absolutely not normal. What's normal is waking up and thinking, what do I want to eat? And eating that and not feeling guilty about it. And then lunchtime comes around and You eat what you feel like eating regardless of what you ate for breakfast, regardless of what you're planning to eat later, regardless of how you think it might affect your body. You need to unlearn all of that and learn what do you enjoy eating, how much food makes you feel good. Do you like eating a small breakfast? Do you like eating a large breakfast? Do you sometimes just like to um, graze throughout the day? Or do you like to eat bigger meals and fewer snacks? Everybody is different. Everybody's needs are different. I would equate it to sleep. I, for example, last night I slept 10 and a half hours. I like to sleep a lot. I sleep at least nine hours a night. And there are some people who would say, Emily, that's way too much sleep. What are you doing? You're sleeping half your day away. You're wasting your life. But you know what? That makes me feel good. I like to sleep. I need a lot of sleep in order to feel normal. Some people only need six hours of sleep and they're fine and they feel great. If I get six hours of sleep after a week, I feel like a fucking zombie. So I get more sleep because that's how I feel best. That's what makes my body feel good and my mind feel good. So, go about eating and nutrition in the same way. Do what makes you feel good. I'm not saying that this is easy. It's actually extremely difficult and takes a lot of practice. Sometimes you might eat more than makes you feel comfortable. You might eat a little too much because your hunger cues are all fucked up. You might, you might eat a certain food that you had deemed off limits and feel bad about it later and have to question, you know, why do I feel bad about this? Why am I judging myself for eating this? And that's all a part of rejecting the diet mentality. We want to unlearn this fucked up way of eating that we all seem to have absorbed to some degree. And we want to focus on what makes us feel happiest and what makes us feel satisfied and good. Reject the diet mentality, friends. So that is a wrap on episode one. Thank you for listening. I would love for anybody who's listening to be a part of the conversation. Slide into my DMs. My Instagram handle is lubination. That's L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. I'm also going to start having guests on the podcast soon. So if you have any suggestions of people you'd love to hear from, Again, slide into my DMs at Lubination. Over and out.